Welcome to episode 48 of the Seeking the Military Suicide Solution podcast brought to you by the Military Times. I'm Dwayne France. And I'm Doc Shauna Springer. And we'd like to thank you for taking the time to learn more about suicide in the military-affiliated population. To check out all the shows, search for STMSS in the Google Play or Apple App Store, and you can download an app that will allow you to listen to all the episodes, check out the show notes, and share the episodes with somebody who you think might want to hear it. Thanks again to everybody for joining us to listen to an honest conversation about service member, veteran, and military family suicide. For this episode, we're returning to the Department of Veterans Affairs to discuss some of their initiatives regarding the identification of suicide risk and their support for non-VA clinicians who are addressing these topics with their clients. Shauna? Yes, Dr. Bridget Monterazzo is a clinical research psychologist and the Director of Clinical Services at VA's Rocky Mountain MIREC for suicide prevention, and an associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. Dr. Matarazzo is passionate about applying implementation science research to promote the dissemination and implementation of evidence-based suicide prevention strategies to enhance care for veterans. She partners closely with colleagues in the VA Office of Mental Health and Suicide Prevention to develop, implement, and evaluate a number of national suicide programs and initiatives. As co-director of the VA's Suicide Risk Management Consultation Program, she leads a team of people that actively supports providers who deliver suicide prevention care to veterans. Her team provides consultation, resources, and training to support those doing such incredibly important work. In light of her focus on suicide prevention, she shared that she knows multiple people in her life who have died by suicide, including veteran patients, co-workers, and friends. She said this, Suicide is a loss like none other, and it brings such incredible and unique grief. I am passionate about doing my part to prevent suicide and also to support others that have lost someone they love to suicide. Yes. Like all of our guests, I believe the passion is brought to the work. And so I'm really glad to have been able to have Bridget come on the show. So we'll get into the conversation and come back afterwards to pull out some of the key points. Anytime that I discuss suicide prevention, and especially related to the VA, as it's a, a huge component of what we're doing, the Rocky Mountain MIREC and your work at the Rocky Mountain MIREC specializes in suicide prevention in the veteran population. Yes, that's right. We do. So the, the MIREC is one of 10 different MIRECs in the nation. Ours is the Rocky Mountain MIREC for veteran suicide prevention. Each one focuses on a different specialty area. And so we really do serve the, the nation as one of those research centers focused on veteran suicide prevention. And as part of this national conversation, obviously part of what we're doing with this project is looking at the public health approach, how we can apply the public health approach. And my rec in general, the Rocky Mountain My Rec in general, does a number of different things associated with the the public health approach to suicide prevention. But a lot of the work that you're doing is specifically associated with providing care, suicide safer care for veterans at risk. Yeah, that's right. We do a number of things here, and we have three sort of main lanes, research, education, and clinical, and I direct our clinical core. And a big piece of what I do, like you're saying, is help provide some support to the field and the Office of Mental Health and Suicide Prevention so that when these really important new evidence-based initiatives get rolled out in VA, we have a whole team of folks that we help 
provide support to the field so that they understand what the interventions are, they understand the evidence behind them, and most importantly, understand how to incorporate them into the good work that they're already doing so that they can really be streamlining care for veterans that are at risk. And so some of the things, and again, as we've had a number of guests talk about this, it's not just a community-based approach without the clinicians, and it's not a clinical approach without the communities because none of this happens in a vacuum, but really with the Department of Veterans Affairs specifically, identifying those veterans at risk is a significant step towards getting them the help that they need. Yeah, that's exactly right. So we're doing a lot in VA to improve our ways that we are identifying veterans at risk. What we're doing, our current approach is consistent with the newly updated VA DOD clinical practice guideline related to suicide prevention. And we have some really innovative strategies that are also evidence-based. I think of the ways that we identify folks as falling into three different lanes. One of those is the more sort of traditional approach that's been around for a long time, which is identify warning signs. So we train our providers, we train all staff in VA through different levels of training on how to identify warning signs. So these can be direct communications, um, veterans saying that they are feeling suicidal, having suicidal thoughts, or this can be more indirect communication. So things like uh, a veteran coming in and reporting increased agitation, sleep difficulties, substance use, things like that. And so a a well-trained provider will be hearing that and, and noticing that could be warning signs. So then it's time to ask directly if they're having suicidal thoughts. The newer, more innovative ways that we're identifying folks is that we are using predictive analytics through a program called ReachVet. And we are also doing population-based screening for suicide risk across the entire enterprise. And that is called the Suicide Risk Identification Strategy, or RISC-ID for short. Yeah, and I really appreciate that because a lot of listeners or when I have conversations, people think just that first method of identification is the one, right? What are the warning signs? And most everybody's like, you tell me the warning signs. And I think even more narrowly, they're talking about these explicit warning signs rather than the implied that you were discussing, that they're like, if if you give me the three things I'm supposed to look for to save somebody's life, that's all I need. Whereas in many ways, in, in what I've seen from the outside looking in, ReachVet is really a way to identify patterns of behavior that we know exist in individuals that may be at risk sometimes before they may even realize they're in that serious risk. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think highlights one of the pieces that's really unique about ReachVet. And we would never be doing ReachVet or Risk ID in isolation. So part of the neat part of the VA's approach is that we're doing all of these things because there is not one way to find a suicide risk among our population. And so ReachVet's really unique. It uses a predictive model that was developed a few years ago by researchers in, in VA in collaboration with some in NIH. And what we do is um, apply that statistical model using factors from veterans' electronic health records. So this is for veterans who are seeking care in VA and have sought care at some point in the last two years. And we use that to identify those that are at the highest risk amongst our population. And again, this is identifying those are at the highest statistical risk. And once they're identified, we inform their providers because we want the person who is reaching out to them to be somebody that the veteran knows and who they know best in the system of care. 
That provider is tasked with comprehensively reviewing the veteran's care. As they're doing that, they're looking for opportunities to enhance it, making sure that they're receiving evidence-based practices for the conditions that they have or the things that they're struggling with. And then they reach out to the veteran to see how they're doing and to collaboratively discuss their care. So they'll talk about how their elevated risk is looking. They'll say, I've taken a comprehensive look at your care. I'm thinking we can maybe try these things out. How are you feeling about your care? And they're really collaboratively partnering around that decision-making and making any changes. So it's a really nice way to, to connect with veterans and use what we're seeing from the statistical side of the house to check in clinically and see what's actually happening with the veteran. As you said, sometimes these are veterans that have never had a suicidal thought. And they might say, gosh, no, I, I don't think about suicide. And then we might be taking more of an upstream approach and making sure that we are arming that veteran with as many protective factors, coping skills as we possibly can, so that if some tough things in life present to them, then they will be well armed in terms of coping with that and hopefully never go down that path or have the support they need if they do. And for others, they have been struggling with suicidal thoughts for a long time and certainly appreciate the additional outreach and support and care that's being provided. We've done some research in VA looking at ReachVet, and we were pleased to see that if we look at veterans who've been identified by ReachVet and compare them to some control groups, we find that the veterans who were identified by ReachVet had more appointments scheduled. They had attended more mental health appointments. They had more new or updated safety plans. And then we were really pleased to see that we actually had a reduction in all-cause mortality among that group. And so when any anybody who does this kind of research knows that it can be challenging to demonstrate any sort of effects on death outcomes because it's a fairly rare event. So we were pleased to see that this could actually be protective against all-cause mortality. No, and, and that's it's really interesting. I, I think if we talk about needles in the haystack, it seems like ReachVet is a very high-powered magnet um, that is going to pull those, whereas the Risk ID program is more of sifting through the the, the haystacks to, to be able to, and again, in a different way, but the individual identifying themselves through a questionnaire or through a screening, that there is a risk. That's exactly right. That's really well said. And I like that analogy. So yeah, with ReachVet, we're, we're not directly asking them. We're looking at this constellation of factors. And then the predictive modeling we're using is putting those factors in a way that we might not be doing in, as humans. <laughs> and so it's additive in that way. But you're right, with RiskID, so with RiskID, we are screening for suicide risk across the entire system of care. So Every veteran seen in an emergency department, if you're seen in primary care, if you come in for a surgery across the setting of care, we're asking directly about suicide risk. And we have a staged approach to that. So like you were saying, we're casting a wide net. We're asking some basic screening questions to, that, to identify those who might be at risk. And then if those are positive, we ask some more questions, so a secondary level of screening. And if that's positive, that sort of narrows the group. And if that second level is positive, then we go on and do our full VA comprehensive suicide risk evaluation, where we really dive in and get a good understanding of what is going on with that veteran. So what is driving their risk? Why are they struggling with suicidal thoughts? What is protective against those thoughts? What is helping them get through these crises? 
And then we stratify their risk and then develop in partnership with the veteran a risk mitigation plan. One thing that's really exciting too about risk ID is that as the evidence has emerged, we're able to pair some interventions with that identification as well that are evidence-based. And so there's a number of them that are laid out in the CPG that we are starting to implement One of them that we have been able to roll out in VA is in emergency departments. As I know has been discussed on this podcast in the past, the emergency department is a really unique and important part of identifying folks at risk, but also a really neat opportunity to intervene. It might be the only touch point somebody has with the healthcare system. So we use risk ID to identify folks in the emergency department. If they're at a certain level of risk and they're getting discharged home, then we have an intervention we're doing with those folks. And this intervention is based on some research that was done in VA, and it was published in 2018 by Barbara Stanley and colleagues. This was the Safe Vet intervention that was done in VA then. It's now that we've rolled it out nationwide in VA, it's called SPED or safety planning in the emergency department. So for those folks who get identified, they get a safety plan before they leave the emergency department. If they already had one, we would update it um, or develop a new one. And then they get at least weekly outreach phone calls until they're engaged in care. So we are helping folks stay connected to the system in that bridge in between that emergency department visit and outpatient care, ensuring there's that continuity. And then also we're helping keep them safe in that time. So we're checking in about their risk, checking in about their safety plan, identifying any barriers to care, problem solving around them. The really exciting piece about that is that when this was done in a research context in that SafeVet study, they found that looking at the six months following an ED visit, those who had received this intervention had a 45% reduction in suicidal behavior, which is really significant. As soon as those findings came out, VA jumped on it and said, okay, we need to implement this nationwide. And then we're now doing that. And, and again, this is obviously the work that the VA is doing because you work with veterans exclusively, but having it be replicated in communities. But here we're talking about getting away from passive resource offering. I'm going to sit back and wait for you to show me the signs. Call me if you need anything. And, and it's on the individual who's in crisis to reach out and take that off the shelf. But things like reach vet or the the SPED program, that's active resource offering. I'm going to reach out to you and provide the resources that you may not even think that you need, but they're actually going to be helpful for you. Yeah, that, that's right. And I can't tell you how much anecdotal feedback we get as the implementation team back from the field about how much veterans are appreciating that. And again, if we're talking about reach vet, we've certainly heard of a number of veterans who have said, I don't I don't actually feel like I struggle with those things, but yeah, I'll I'll do that all that I can to protect myself from going down that path. But gosh, I'm just so happy you're doing this for our veterans who are struggling and that the VA is proactively reaching out to those folks. And they might be sitting at home not knowing what to do. Um, And we have done those outreach calls and actually caught people in the midst of a crisis and were able to intervene. So that type of outreach, I think, is super important. It's proactive and can really catch people at the right time, which is hugely impactful. And then, yes, with SPED, again, it's keeping that connection going making sure they have what they need. If they don't really need us, that's great. But we're there if they do and they know that because we're reaching out to them. And that's one way that your office is supporting direct interventions with veterans. 
And you're also doing a secondary support and in not all of the veterans are being seen by the VA as, as many veterans are being seen by the VA, but there's millions of us and the system would absolutely be overwhelmed. You also provide support for clinicians who are working with veterans. They're not in the VA. So a lot of these things you're talking about within the system, but you're also providing secondary support to the veterans by supporting the clinicians that are working with them. That's right. And I know in one of your previous episodes, Dr. Matt Miller did a great job describing the research we have and the data related to our suicide rates among veterans. And that, yes, there's a a chunk of veterans who die by suicide that are receiving care in VA, but there's a larger chunk of those veterans who are not getting their care in VA. And so consistent with trying to end veteran suicide prevention, not qualifying which veterans, but all veterans, we want to make sure we're doing all that we can to support any provider out there who is serving a veteran. And since 2013, the VA has had the Suicide Risk Management Consultation Program, and that's housed here in the Rocky Mountain Myrack. It's directed by myself and my colleague, Dr. Hal Wurzel. In 2017, once these data started to emerge about the fact that many of our veterans who are dying are not receiving care in VHA, the VA allowed us to offer our consultation program to any provider who's serving these veterans. So you do not have to work in VA to utilize our services. With our consultation program, we offer telephone or email-based consultation. So if you're working with a veteran you're concerned about, maybe you're just having a hard time conceptualizing their risk, you're having a hard time understanding exactly what to do, Or let's say you've seen a number of veterans and you're like, the place I always get stuck is when these conversations about firearm safety come up. I am uncomfortable talking about this. I want to really honor my veterans' values. I want to connect with them around this, but I'm worried about their safety. How do I do this? We'll hop on the phone with you for an hour and point you to some resources and talk you through that. And so having that one-to-one connection over the phone can be really helpful. So that's, that's a consultation piece, but we know not everybody has time for that, and that's okay too. So we have free available trainings online. We started a monthly lecture series a few months ago. There's free CEUs for both VA and non-VA providers. You can check those out on our website. The recordings are available if you missed the ones that we already offered. We have a number of other clinical resources online, tips for documentation, ways to just really access evidence-based treatments, things like that. And so we know we're doing this because we know doing this work can be really emotionally challenging. It can be really anxiety-provoking. If you do happen to lose a patient to suicide, that can be incredibly both personally and professionally impactful. So we do a lot around postvention as well. And so we're here to support you. Our motto is never worry alone. And we really mean that. We can't do this work alone. We won't be effective. And so we really need to support each other in this. So that's what we're here for. So we have a, a website folks can check out, or you can also just email us at srmconsult.va.gov to learn more. We'll definitely make sure that that all of those are in the show notes. But as a community provider, it's, it's, it's not a competition regardless of what people think is because none of us can do this alone. But you're right. I do have a lot of colleagues that they, they may not be working with veterans right now, but they say, I really want to work with veterans. You said it's emotionally challenging, but it's also emotionally charged. But this desire to work with veterans is necessary, but it's not sufficient. We need to be able to have the understanding. And of course, we've had these conversations on the show so far 
about lethal mean safety, it's one of those taboo subjects that is a huge black hole in a pit, especially if we're working with veterans in crisis, uh, because we also know that's not a subject that we can avoid. So it's great to hear that the VA in general, but also the MIREC specifically in your program is addressing this for community providers. Yeah, absolutely. So my colleague, Joe Simonetti here in the the Myrick has really spearheaded a lot of these efforts. And he and I did a training a few years ago on lethal mean safety counseling, a primer course, if you will. Um, And that's currently available in the train system. So train.org for community providers. So anybody can take that course and again, get some free CEUs for it, which is always nice. Um, And we're in the process of updating that course. So in the next few months, there'll be an updated version out there with the field in terms of research related to lethal mean safety is really growing. And we felt it had been enough time that we were ready to do an update and folks can keep their eyes open for that. But whether it's training or just the hopping on the phone and doing some consultation and just asking any question you have, then we're, we're there to support you. Yes. And I'm really appreciative of the fact that you were able to come on the show to talk about that. One of the challenges that I've seen for you and for your team is getting that message out there to providers. You're doing a very great job about connecting with the veterans directly with things like the risk ID program and stuff like that. But getting this message out to providers, because we're all busy, right? We're all, we're doing the work, but then this is also a necessary additive. So I really appreciate you coming on the show to share with us. Yeah, thank you. It's interesting. We do satisfaction surveys after our consultations. One of the questions asked is, what can we be doing better? And I can't tell you how often one of the responses is you could do a better job letting people know about this program. I really appreciate you having me today, Dwayne, and being able to share this really important work that VA is doing. But like you said, this really critical resource for those of us doing this work. And your show is a critically important piece of this too, in in terms of disseminating information. So thanks for everything you do. Absolutely. I think it was really helpful to have this conversation about the VA's ReachVet program and their identification, their risk identification programs, after our conversation with Michael Kanan back in episode 43. Yes, Dwayne, as you and Bridget discussed, and as you know from our previous conversations, I agree with the idea of being proactive instead of engaging in passive resource delivery. I thought I'd provide today some additional psychological insights on why this shift is so critical. So here are some reasons. Emotional numbing is a core feature of PTSD. Avoidance of things that make us think of a trauma is another core feature of PTSD. Many people who have been traumatized can't get a clear perspective on how bad it really is. Many experience internal friction around seeing themselves as a quote, PTSD case. Many high-functioning people live in society with unrecognized trauma symptoms, and they live this way every day do not see themselves as having PTSD. Many high-functioning people who are also our nation's warriors do not see themselves in the frame of PTSD either, and many don't want to be diagnosed as having PTSD. Many people have a long history of trauma. For instance, those who grew up in poverty or in a chaotic or violent household, but they don't know they have PTSD. It's just the river they've been swimming in all their lives, and they don't know any different. And many people with sexual assault, which includes a lot of heterosexual males who have been assaulted by other males, have so much shame and fear that suppression becomes an instinctive response. 
So when we consider all of these factors together, it becomes clear that many people with trauma are not aware of its full impact on them. And as I just shared in the previous podcast episode, for many who are wired like warriors, suicide risk may be the threat in their blind spot, the threat they did not see coming. That's why we have to be proactive. I think we need to balance, obviously, the privacy aspect. This is something that has really been emerging out of these conversations with the need to reach out for help. But also, as you just said, here we're talking about service members, veterans and military family members, but people in general may not be aware that they have a mental health concern nor receptive if they're in a highly emotional state to somebody telling them, here is a resource for you. The reaction may be, what do you think? I'm crazy. Or the stigma, the internal stigma against acknowledging that could be a barrier in when somebody is trying to provide these resources rather than just say, hey, call us if you need us. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a balancing point and, and a, I think very important insight that if you called somebody proactively and said, I think I know what you have better than you do, or I think you need this, it could really backfire. So yeah, I fully agree with that, the balance of that. I also want to just give a shout out to Bridget and her team around the Suicide Risk Management Consultation Program. That's a really wonderful support to those on the front lines of care. And when I think back to my eight years as a frontline psychologist at the VA, There were times when I definitely did worry alone, sometimes losing a lot of sleep around the thought that I might be the last person to see a particular veteran alive, regardless of what they reported to me in that last session about their risk of suicide. So as we wrap up this series, I want to emphasize that this work is hard. For many years, I believe that our field has held a get thee to the doctor mentality, and that has put a great deal of pressure on our society's healers, sometimes imbuing them with a perceived level of power and control that we don't have. It has at times left good providers feeling responsible for things they could not control in the wake of a tragic outcome. Today, I'm feeling grateful about the shift in the field towards the public health model of care. Shifting in this direction means that we all have a role to play, that no one person is the solitary holder of anyone's pain or their hope. I believe the future lies in coming together in communities of healing, in places where we elevate each other and inspire the possibility of post-traumatic growth so that we are mutually tethered to each other and tethered to hope Yeah, I agree. The clinician advisory program and a number of different programs in the VA is showing that it's now collaborating with the community and supporting the community in in addressing these issues. Not that, like you said, no one individual nor can one agency address this entire problem. Yeah, absolutely. It just, it distributes the ability for people to step up and help. Now, of course, on the other side of it, I'm sure you would agree that there can also be a diffusion of responsibility with that. When people say, it's not my responsibility because everybody's responsible, maybe nobody will step up, but it would be amazing if everybody stepped up and did everything they could and that they're equipped to do to support those around them that they love and trust. I agree. If we all stepped up and all recognize as this as our portion of responsibility, again, and and that can lead to the stresses balancing that in that not taking on too much of the responsibility on us, nor too little. I think that's a, a great way to look at it. So we appreciate everybody taking the time to check out the show. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find at veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash STMSS48, or by downloading the app by searching STMSS in the Google Play or Apple App Stores. In the show notes, you can get the links to everything we talked about in this episode, as well as finding the show notes on militarytimes.com. 
As a reminder, you can ask us questions and let us know what you thought about the show by going to our Facebook group moderated by the outstanding D. James by going to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash group. You can find out more about the work that Shauna is doing by checking out her latest book, Warrior, How to Support Those Who Protect Us, and the work that I'm doing by checking out my latest book, Military in the Rearview Mirror, Mental Health and Wellness in Post-Military Life. Both are available on Amazon and we'll have links to them in the show notes. Just a reminder that the guests and reflections on this show are for informational purposes only and should not be considered professional advice. While Dwayne and I are mental health professionals, we are not your mental health professionals. We always recommend that you discuss these things with a licensed clinician. And always remember you can connect with the Veteran Crisis Line by calling 1-800-273-8255 and pressing 1 chatting online with them at veterancrisisline.net or texting 838255. Thanks again for joining us to talk about seeking the military suicide solution. And make sure to follow Military Times on social media to keep up with the latest episodes. Join us next time for another great conversation. And until then, remember, you're not alone, ever. <laughs>